you. I'm going to dig right into the word tonight. And, uh, uh, but God, but God. Um, how many have ever used the word but? Yeah. Sometimes in, uh, in um, more uh, people that think more about proper speech, they say, well, but has kind of a negative connotation to it. So say however instead. However, it's like we're, we're doing this and then we want to pivot and turn to a different contrasting thing away from what that was. Well, I would go to church, but, and then here's the reason. I would go to this restaurant, but, and usually it's something negative. It could be something not negative too, but I want to contrast whatever the situation is with but. But is the contrast that leads from this spot over to this spot. And I want you to look at the definition of but. We put it on the screen here. <coughs> but God. There it is, right there on your screen. Maybe we can get a shot of that on the screen, Cassie. Oh. But. It means except, besides, unless, or on the contrary. It's used to indicate the impossibility of anything other than what is being said. So, but means except, besides, unless, or on the contrary. And it's used to indicate the impossibility of anything other than what is being said. So, when we have a, uh, when we have a, a, a something that happens, and we want to know one, one thing that happens, and that's impossible, except for something else. Except for something else that happens. Joseph, in just a moment we're going to go to Genesis 41, but Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous. He ended up in the house of Potiphar in Egypt, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Joseph was, fright, was righteous in his walk with the Lord, but he was accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual assault and put into prison. How many of you remember the story? Yep. Pharaoh had Joseph brought from prison because he had a dilemma. We picked this up in Genesis chapter 41, verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said. Now there's that word, but again. Nobody can do anything about this dream, but, here's the contrary, I have heard it said that whenever you hear a dream, you can interpret it. So I have this dilemma, the Pharaohs say. And Joseph says in verse 16, he says, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God, but God, God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So Joseph recognized and he set the Pharaoh straight. He says, no, I can't do it. Even though you've heard I can do it. But God will do it. God gives us abilities and he gives us talents and gifts. And he wants us to use them for him. 
There may be some hardship or situation that comes your way, but that does not minimize what God wants to do in you and through you for someone else. You have to remind yourself sometimes that I can't do it. I'm not the one with the ability to do it, but God is the one with the ability to do it. And yes, if he chooses to use me, then I will be able to do that. I may not know the answer, but God will always come through. Joseph was exalted to oversee Pharaoh's kingdom in the midst of a famine. The famine was so severe that his brothers were sent into Egypt to buy food. They did not recognize him even after several encounters with him, but Joseph could not hold back revealing himself any longer because he loved his brothers. If you look at a few chapters over Genesis 45... Verses 4 through 7. Genesis 45, 4 through 7. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. Here it is. But God. Somehow I blanked that out on the screen. But that blank means but God. There it is. Thank you. Sent me ahead of you to prepare for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So all of this is going on. And he says, don't worry about it. This all happened for a purpose and for a reason. But God sent me ahead of you. To prepare for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. In the midst of famine, in the midst of hardships that affected everyone around and would continue to do so, Joseph said for the next five years, Joseph said, but God sent me ahead. There are people around you that are going through more difficult and harder circumstances than you're facing right now. But I believe that God will send you ahead. But God will send you into their lives so that you can do something powerful through His gift and His, His calling in your life. You just may, it may be a part of their deliverance and their picture into the next thing that God wants to do in their life. And after Israel or Jacob had come back to Egypt and had been reunited with his long thought dead son Joseph, he had come to the end of his life. And in chapter 48, verse 21, he said, Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. Should the Lord tarry, there will come a day when every one of us in this room, everyone tuning in on Facebook, will die. How many knows that? We're all going to die. Should the Lord tarry, we're all going to die. Nobody gets out of this, this earthly place alive. Physically. But we can remind our loved ones, but God will be with each one of us. 
He will be with them. He will keep them. And He will lead our loved ones. And He will give them the direction in your life. That's why it's important for us to be the example to them now so that we can remind them of whom it is that we depend on. We depend upon the Lord, our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say, but God will be with you just like He's been with me. Amen. Last, uh, last week... Sister Brock went to be with the Lord. And I preached her funeral last Wednesday, as a matter of fact. And last Wednesday, she went to be with the Lord. And I got to reflect on her life. There's coming a time when people are going to reflect on your life. There's coming a time when we should reflect on our lives. Are we the kind of example that we want other people to see? Jacob, in this story, he was an old man. He had lived a lot of years and he was about to die and he was going to bless his children and his grandchildren. You can read the story. But Jacob didn't always have a, shall we say, a a past that was just all rosy and pristine. He didn't have that. And as a young man, he was a deceiver. As a young man, he did some things that cost him. He left his home place and he never saw his mother again the rest of his life because of the deception. Now, mom helped him with the deception, but... That's a different story. But he had some things that he wasn't proud of. How many have ever had some things that you weren't proud of? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're like, um, somebody might say, well, there's skeletons in my closet. No. When you come to Jesus, he cleans them all out. They're gone. They're gone. Now, other people might think they're there, but they're not. They're gone. It's open. That closet of skeletons really is a prayer closet now. Because we can rejoice. But God allows us to impart into other people's lives, into our loved ones. When Israel passed away, Joseph's brothers began to get nervous and thought that perhaps Joseph might still carry a grudge against them. How many have ever known somebody that would carry a grudge? Yeah. Um... That's a really precarious position to be in. But his brothers thought that they might still carry, that he might still carry a grudge against them for selling him into slavery. I mean, you think about that. His father thought he was dead all these years. He was sold into slavery because his brothers were jealous of him. And then he had to endure, he was in prison. We just read about that. He was in prison for years was falsely accused, and then God put him in a place of honor and put him in a place of service and a a higher profile. In spite of all of that, they're thinking, well, dad's gone now. Now it's really going to be rough. But Joseph, in chapter 50, verse 19, but Joseph said to them, 
Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid, and I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Whatever hurt or pain has come to you, remember this. The enemy of your soul intended to paralyze and incapacitate you spiritually. But God intended good to come out of all of that hurt and all of that pain. Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. All things work together. Sometimes when you're in the midst of all these things, it's tough to see, God, how can you get any glory out of this? I had something that happened today that it was just a real blessing from the Lord and I reflected on that and I, I was just so thankful. And I can remember a lot of times where situations were totally different. And when I got this um, news today about just God's blessing and His graciousness I sent Annette a text and I said God is so good he is so good but you know what even when you may be in the midst of the struggle even when you may be in the depths of the darkest place that you can even think of God is still good but sees where you are but God knows all about it he does and he will work together all of these things according to his purpose how many have ever worked a jigsaw puzzle mm -hmm. I haven't worked one for several years but I would say that I probably rate at least average or maybe a little better than average at putting together puzzles because I did it a lot when I was a kid. Even the big puzzles, I mean, you know, the ones that have lots of pieces and they take a lot of time. But I will say there was one puzzle that stumped me one time and Annette, we were both stumped. It wasn't really that it was a hard puzzle to do. It was, I think, 500 pieces. 500 pieces, really? If you put your mind to working a 500-piece puzzle, you can probably have it done in just a few days. It took us two weeks to work that puzzle, and we worked on it often. And some of you may be wondering, what was wrong with y'all? Well... We were newly married and we had traveled down to Marshall, Texas. I lived for a year in Longview, Texas when I was in high school. And after we got married, I just decided, we decided to go down there. I wanted to see what things still looked like and all that. And so I lived there for a year and we never had gone 
when, when I lived there with my mom when I was a teenager, I never had gone down to Shreveport, which was only about 50, 60 miles from there. And so while we were staying there for a few nights, Annette and I, we decided we're going to drive down to um, Shreveport or close by there. We went to, it was raining, and we went to, uh, went to a, a store or two, and I, uh, I think a mall, and we saw this puzzle, and it really looked neat. I need to, I, we still have it somewhere. Uh, I need to dig it out. And so we thought, you know, um, we, came, we came back to the hotel and our, our thought was, we've got enough time, we could probably put this sucker together in this one evening, you know. We started that puzzle. And, you know, I was always taught to start the border first, then you know the framework of the puzzle, and you put all the similar colors together. And we put the border together. And how many, you know, you put the picture right there so you can see what it is you're working. And we started to work that puzzle. And after a while, we got to the realization, this puzzle is not the same as that picture. <laughs> and, um, and we realized we're never going to get this done. But we were determined to get it done. And so we brought it home. And that's what we did. When, when we'd get home from work in the evenings, we would go and we'd work that puzzle. And we, would sit, we had it sitting on the coffee table. And we worked the puzzle and worked the puzzle and finally got it worked. Pastor, why'd you take us down memory lane of a puzzle? Well, all things work together. And I had the pieces there, but I couldn't figure it out. I didn't have anything as a guide to tell me. And it seemed like, you know... It wasn't going to happen, but it did work out. When you're going through stuff, you may have what seemingly are all the pieces, and you just don't know how they go together. You may have a box that just seems like it doesn't even go. But our Heavenly Father knows every piece, and He knows where it's supposed to go, and He knows everything about it. And He gives us the ability to know, oh, I found one that fits here. And I think that really all of our life, he is giving us pieces to put in places. And then when we finally get the last piece in and everything is the way that it's supposed to be, that's probably when he says, now that people can see what I've done in your life, you can do more than just this. But see, I didn't work on that puzzle the whole time. We didn't lock ourselves in a room and say, we're not leaving this room until we'd have, we'd have gotten fired from our jobs. Uh, but the thing is, is we kept working and we kept working and we kept working and it came to be. Have you ever heard the song, He's Still Working On Me? He's Still Working On Me. So all these things are going to work together for His purpose. King Jehoshaphat went down to the temple to pray and seek God because of an, an army was coming to attack him. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12 through 16, it says, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. 
We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There's that word but again. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood be there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on uh, Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I want you to hear that. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. Sometimes it seems like you're under attack and, and you're, you're not sure what to do. But seek God. Don't be afraid because the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. Sometimes we try to make things happen and we think, God, I, I know, I know that I'm going to get through this. And the thing is, is we just know too much because we know that we know that we're supposed to do something. And I can tell you the sickening feeling that it, that it is inside when you, when you realize, you know, I've made the wrong decision because I didn't seek God. I've made the wrong decision. And you go back and say, Lord, forgive me. And, and he's gracious and merciful and he does that. But sometimes we just get too much of in a hurry and we think about all these things and we panic and we get afraid. And the king's like, look at this army. I didn't bring this scripture to, to light, but uh, tonight, but the uh, uh, but the uh, uh, the one where the prophet sends out his servant, he says, "Look, this army is all around us." And, and the prophet says, "Open his eyes where he can see." And then he looked out and he saw the chariots of fire and the horse of the Lord, the army of the Lord, all surrounded. And then he wasn't afraid anymore because he saw the army. The battle is not yours, but God's. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is, my, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. How many know that there's a different size portion for you as there is for somebody else? Well, Journey couldn't eat, our granddaughter Journey couldn't eat what's on my plate and I couldn't eat what's, I mean, I could eat everything on her plate and then more because our portion sizes are different. But even though when you, you your flesh, your physical body, your spirit man may fail, may seem like things are just all up and ended, but God is the strength. The contrast of that, on the other hand, is the, that God is the strength of my heart and He is my portion. The portion is significant because it means Whatever, whatever it is that you need, he knows exactly what it is, and he puts exactly that amount in your favor for you. And it may be different for somebody else, for me, for you, or anybody else, but he is exactly what you need at the right time. After receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Peter preached to the crowd gathered in Jerusalem and witnessed to them about Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse number 23. 
Peter says, this man, talking about Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. There it is again. But God raised him from the dead, keeping, uh, freeing him from the agony of death, because it, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. And then he says this, I want you to catch this, he says, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. That is so powerful. But God raised Jesus from the dead. We're getting ready to celebrate Easter Sunday after next. But God raised him from the dead. That is the whole foundation of our faith. Yes, he went to the cross and he died. But God raised him from the dead and he is ever interceding for us. And David said, I will not be shaken because the Lord is ever before me. It was a fulfillment of what David had spoken hundreds of years before. When we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us, we can also witness to others about the power of God through the resurrection. But God who raised Jesus from the dead and because of this, I trust in Him for my salvation. I trust Him with my life. And others can also have the same hope that we have yet today. Does somebody ever ask you, why do you seem so positive in your outlook on life? No, pastor, nobody's ever asked me that. Well, then you need to stop being a grouch. <laughs> I mean, seriously. It's, I get it. It's easy to complain. We're going to complain about the government. We're going to complain about taxes. We're going to complain about health care. We're going to complain about uh, the shape of this and the size of that. We're going to complain about... All of these things, we're going to complain about drivers. They cut me off. Complain about a restaurant. When's the last time we just ever said, but God did so much for me that I'm going to just withhold all of that blah and I'm just going to just not say it because if we can't say something nice, I believe that we shouldn't be saying anything at all. Amen. Boy, it got awful quiet in here. But let me tell you something. It's true. I remember that song. I had a little record of that, that song. It was on a, a, a Pinocchio storybook. And when Pinocchio came to life, you know, he, 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 he talked about, I'm sorry, I got my stories mixed. It was the ugly duckling, I think it was. Anyway, but if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. The Bible talks about how out of the heart... Out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever is going on inside is going to come out. If you get enough of the Lord inside you, He's going to come out. But if we fill our mind with all kinds of other stuff, it's going to come out. I mean, have you ever put too much salt or something like that, some seasoning in something you were cooking? Yeah. When there was too much of it, you could tell. You could tell there was too much of it. And when we get too much of the world and all the influences there filling our mind, people can tell. I want to say, can you get too much of the Lord? No, we can't. I don't think we can ever say we pray too much. We go to church too much. We read the Bible too much. Uh, how's that one going to work? Well, Lord, I would have read the Bible a little bit more, but I just felt like I was reading it a little too much. Well, 
Lord, sir, I would have gone to church more, but I figured one Sunday a month was, was enough. At least I'm better than those people that only did, you know, one Sunday every six months. We're not, we're not judged on anybody else. We're judged on the word of God. Out of the content of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many know that actions speak louder than words? Yeah, that's true. It is. We're not, we're judged according to what we say and what we do. Um, Paul preaches in Antioch in Acts chapter 13, verse 29. When they had carried out all that was written about him, talking about Jesus, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. We, they are now his witnesses to our people. But God raised him from the dead. We are his witnesses. But God raised him from the dead. We are his witnesses. How many know that you are his witness? You are his witness. Romans 5, 7 through 9. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, justified is a word that really means just as if I had never sinned. By his blood, we have been justified. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? How many know that God has wrath? God is a God of love, but God is also a jealous God. He's a God of wrath. He's a God that is 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 a God that will that that is that is a just judge. He's all of those things. And it's convenient for us to think, well, God is just a God of love, and that's all that He is. He is a lot of things, and He is a God of love. He's a God of love and He's a God of mercy. Mercy really means that I deserve something. More than what he gave. Mercy means that there is grace given to an offender when something else was due. Like a judge shows mercy. We're shown mercy by God, which is his love and his grace and his unmerited favor. And he says, because he demonstrated his own love while he while we were yet still sinners. He died for us. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. But he says, Jesus says, I'm taking that from you. You don't have to do that. I've taken that penalty for you. 
And you're excused from all of that because of his mercy. Some were discussing how that some people liked Apollo's teaching and some people liked Paul's teaching. But in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, this is what Paul says. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. But God has been making it grow. Whatever we do for the kingdom, we are the caretakers in this field. How many know that we're working in a field? I know that sometimes it can get tired and it can get weary and it can get overwhelming. But God makes things grow. He makes the harvest of souls and he makes lives change. And I know that if you've ever been in ministry, then you know sometimes, and, and I should preface that by saying, we're really all in ministry. It's not just the ministry. It's not just the teacher's job or the pastor's job or the deacon's job or anything like that. We're all in ministry. But sometimes when you're used to doing things for the Lord and the work of the ministries of the church, sometimes you can get to the place where is it really making a difference? Because I feel like I'm doing a lot of things for the Lord, but I don't know if it's really making a difference. I had a moment like that a number of years ago. As a young man, I, I taught Royal Rangers straight arrows. I taught five and six-year-old boys. I did that for five years. And... Uh, not the same boys because they got older, but you know, as new ones came in. Um, and uh, it was uh, it was an interesting journey. And you know, uh, our children weren't even that old yet. I mean, Natalie wasn't even born, and and Nick was just a baby at the time when I started. And so it's it's been, oh my goodness. That's been more than 30 years ago. <laughs> wow. It just flies by. But anyway, you know, I would have maybe five to eight boys in a classroom on a Wednesday night, such as here, like the youth are back there now. I would have these boys on a, on a Wednesday night, and uh, we would sing songs, and we would play games, and we would have a Bible lesson and we would do activities and sometimes we would go outside and we'd do all kind of different things. But we were there for a purpose and we always learned scripture. We always had a lesson out of the Bible. And I can remember, I, I thought, you know, and really, even as a young man, after spending, then it was an hour and a half because we went till 8.30 on, on Wednesday nights. It was 7 to 8.30. So I was with these boys for an hour and a half every Wednesday night. And uh, I can remember, you know, sometimes I just felt like I was tired afterwards. And uh, it gives you a great respect for mothers and, um, and the dealings they have with children and all that. It's just, uh, but anyway, 
I wondered, you know, am I really making a difference? Are these boys even really hearing anything that I'm saying? I mean, I didn't know. I was a new parent. And, and uh, you know, when you have a small baby, you, you really, your parenting skills are pretty limited. Um, as far as your interactions, they're more physical than intellectual. So, uh, I can remember there was one set of twin boys that came. And the mom came to me after church one Wednesday night. And she said, I just want you to know that I appreciate what you are doing and how that you're teaching my boys about God. Because she said, when they get home, I ask them, what did you learn? What happened? And they could always tell me something out of the Bible. So she knew. And I thought, wow, Lord, it does make a difference. It does make a difference. But God makes the harvest of souls. And he makes it grow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I only have about 15 more verses. No, I'm kidding. I don't have that many. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 5, 5 through 7. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says this, For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God. Who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus but God who comforts the downcast you ever felt down, that felt downcast he comforts the downcast he comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming but also by the comfort you had given him he told us about your longing for me your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. But God who comforts the downcast, he comforts you when you're downcast, when you're at that low place. And he brings joy out of that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. But I think it is necessary... To send back to you Epaphroditus. How would you like to have that name, Epaphroditus? It's kind of cool. Epaphroditus. People probably say, hey, Ed. Uh, Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. All of this. He's, he's talking about this guy, that he's done all these great things for the Lord. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. When you're in a place where you're, you're getting physically sick or ill, remember this, but God. This guy almost died. God had seen all the things because he was a worker. He was a, a fellow laborer. He was a messenger. He was there to help Paul. But, and he almost died. But God intervened and he had mercy on him. Not only him, but also upon Paul as well. 
And he says here, he says, um, verse 28, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, that you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him and the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This guy was willing to put his very life on the line and God took care of him. I believe David's words more now than ever. He said, I've seen, he said I once was young and now I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken or God's seen begging bread. Meaning we're not going to have to do without. We're not. God is going to take care of us. Regardless from our first breath all the way to our last breath. He's going to take care of us. Hebrews 12, verses 9 through 11. Last, ver last verse I want to bring up tonight. Moreover, we have all heard, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. I want to stop right there just a moment. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. How many of you like to get disciplined? How many of you like to discipline like your children and stuff like that? I don't think many people say they enjoy that. Um, and I've mentioned this before. Discipline has a connotation of punishment, punitive. Um, but it's not necessarily the case. Discipline really means to teach and to guide. So what this scripture is saying is it's not that, that God comes down and whacks us over the head with some spiritual two by four, although he may need to do that sometimes. He doesn't, you know, but what he says, what he says is God disciplines us and he says, you're going in this direction and you're doing this but this is really what you need to do. And so when we realize that we're not doing what pleases God, then sometimes it's a painful thing for us. We don't really enjoy it. We, we say, Lord, uh, you know, and, and but he does that so that we can share in his holiness. Because the Bible says without holiness, no one will see God. We need to share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. How many of you love change? You love change. No, most people don't. Most people don't. Um, babies like to be changed. But most people don't like change. In the place that I work, we go through a lot of change. Um, I, I've been employed by the same company for 26 years. And when I started, our computer was pretty much an accessory. And um, we had the phone, we had the computer, and we wrote down a lot of stuff mm -hmm. because the computer technology just wasn't what it is today. Mm -hmm. And now it's pretty much, if I don't have a computer, I, don't, I can't do my job. 
I can do a lot of the other things that I can do, but when it comes right down to it, it's pretty much, it's, you can't really function a lot. So a lot has changed. And those things weren't, weren't uh, uh, they didn't happen all of a sudden, they happened gradually. I'm also involved in training some of our new folks when they come on board and uh, I've, I've uh, I told them, I said, you know, I really, I really think you guys have it a lot harder than I did because all of these different things that have changed through the years, I got to do it gradually and they get to do it all at once and it's just a big bite to take. And there are some people that just refuse to change. They just refuse to change. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about and things that, you know, um, I'm one that, you know, if I'm asked, if, 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 if somebody says, you know, we need to do something this way now and we don't do it that way, um, they didn't ask for my input. They just said, we're going to do it this way now. I'm like, okay, we're going to do it this way now. I mean, that's the way that it goes. That's what they're asking me to do. I remember a, a lady I worked with a number of years ago, and uh, she was a funny lady. And they came out with a new process. We had to do something different when we were putting some information in the computer. And she read that, and she says, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense. I'm like, that's just how some people are. But when we have to change, I mean, no, we always have to change. We have to change. We have to change for the Lord. And he wants us to change because he wants to bring us along his journey toward holiness. He wants to bring us there. And that journey toward holiness. But God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in, in order that we may share in his holiness. And then he says, here it is. It was painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been, here it is, trained by it. Not punished, but trained. They were disciplined. He shows the right way, the right way to do things. It provides a harvest of righteousness and peace. I mean, know what a harvest is. It means an abundance. Um, you know, when you go out to harvest, you go out with an empty load and you come back with a full load. That's harvest. That's what happens. And what he's saying is here, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. If somebody doesn't have righteousness and peace, maybe they're not being accepting or receiving of the discipline that the Lord provides. And he does it to draw us closer to him. How can we tell? The fruit of the Spirit is one excellent way to tell. A harvest of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, the peace, love, joy, all of those will be overabundant in your life. My grandpa preached one time uh, a, a message and it was, it was uh, about a fruit inspector and uh, how that, you know, people say, well, you're not supposed to judge other people, but you can be a fruit inspector and you can see whether there's fruit or not. And the first place we should look is right here, right here. Do we have the fruit of the spirit? Don't ever forget that there will be but God moments in our lives as long as we continue to look toward him. Whether it's 
abilities and talents that he's given us, causing us to know that, that he has our back and that the enemy of our soul, when he's trying to destroy us, whatever the situation, remember that when we look to him, the God above all gods, the Lord above all lords, will show up on the scene. He will fight for us because the battle's not ours, but God's. When everyone around us sees the impossibility of a situation, he, 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 he gets to the place, gets us to the place where we can show other people that, it, yes, it's impossible in the natural, but God will show up and he will prove himself for exactly who he is. But God, whatever your situation, whatever your need is, no, but God can change whatever that is. And he can make it into something so much more powerful. But God, let him be that contrast in your life to all the other situations that you're facing. All the heartache and the pain that others are facing that you can help minister to and that he can minister through you because he wants to do that.